Hello, sci-fi fans. This is Nana Visitor from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. If you like what we're serving here at the Sci-Fi Diner, feel free to leave us a tip at patreon.com backslash sci-fi, spelled the right way, and by Audible. Get a free audiobook when you sign up today, audibletrial.com backslash sci-fi diner. Engage. Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, where we serve up interviews, news, and our view on the world of science fiction. Come, grab a chair, and enjoy the conversations. I'd say we've got an unexpected guest. Rose, we're going, we don't need Rose. I've got a bad feeling about it. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I'm Miles McLaughlin. Hi, I'm Zero Garcia. And tonight we're doing a little bit of a short show here just to kind of catch up with what's going on in our science fiction world. Finding out, you know, what's making us tick, what's making us excited. We're going to talk a little bit about solo some updates from surely miles my understand that you have the updates we're going to find that out from you and this is late breaking stuff mind you and uh we'll talk a little bit about the okudas and kathleen headley who we're going to be sharing an interview of a little bit later on uh at the end of this show uh and we did an, we interviewed kathleen back at farpoint so just dropping this interview now so that sounds like an exciting show doesn't it Yes, it does. Yeah, absolutely. It's so exciting. Woohoo. So before we get into anything, let's talk about our updates for Shore Leave. As you guys know, we just dropped an interview with Mike Schilling from Shore Leave. We were talking about Babylon 5 and DS9 and the significance and relevance. But obviously, we were talking about Shore Leave. But after I interviewed him, literally two days later, the guest lineup changed. Miles, can you tell us a little bit about that lineup? Yes. So... Uh, two of the guests that they had originally, uh, they they were uh, on the uh, Dark Matter show. Um, they were uh, Melissa O'Neill and Alex uh, Malari. Um, but I guess things are going well in their respective careers, and so they can't make it to shore leave. However, if uh, you are a um, fan of, of, of the Stargate franchise, then um, – Good news is they got two two actors from that from that uh, Peter Williams, he played um, uh, the gold. Um, I'm trying to remember, not Anubis, but um, the first gold uh, baddie in in the in, in the show, um, and uh, Peter Kalamis, uh, he played uh, Brody from Stargate Universe, so. So yeah, we we lost two guests, but we gained two other guests from the Stargate franchise. So that's that that's still pretty cool. That's cool. Apothis. Peter Williams played Apothis. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say. Oh, that's Apothis. <laughs> no, that's yeah, was, that's cool. Yeah. And he, I guess he has a part in the Expanse as well. Okay. Had a part in the Expanse. Well, uh, still has. Well, maybe if he's not around anymore. But. Well, I mean, did they get picked up? Or they, they, they got picked. I thought they got picked them? up by Amazon. Did they? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, and then Peter, the guy was in Stargate Universe, right? 
Yeah, he 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 was in Stargate Universe. He he was uh, Adam Brody, but uh, he he also um, he he had a guest starring role on on SG One, an episode there. D- different character though. Obviously, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very cool. And we of course have our tradi- lineup. Shatner's coming, Ma Ning, but Ma Ma Ming, sorry Ming Na Wen. Sorry, just totally botched her name. Um, wow. that's, that's, that's why she's not interviewing with us. No, we already de- were denied interviews with Shatner and Ming Na, mostly because they are there just Saturday. Uh, but Shatner, if you, Miles, you remember the last time Shatner was there? You had to pay like 40 bucks to go listen to him in addition to the price of the con ticket. I, yeah, I think it was, only, it was only 25, but still, I mean, if you're paying 80 bucks for the weekend or whatever it is, then. I have to slap another $25. Yeah. Uh, but this time, it, it, he, he, that, 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 they're not going to add that. No, but. It's, it's, he's doing two sessions for free, signing mm-hmm. autographs, which are not free, but is, uh, it'll be a, it will be a real good time. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And, and uh, other guests, uh, Sean Ashmore played X Men's, uh, um, Bobby Drake, um, and he, he had freezing power. I forget his character's name there. Iceman. Iceman. Uh, Allison Scaliotti from Warehouse 13. And, is that the uh, Ashmore who was in Warehouse 13? No, that's his brother. Yes. Okay. Um, Allison Scaliotti from Warehouse 13. Uh, Aaron Eisenberg, who played Nog in Star Trek D Space Nine. And Chase Masterson, who played uh, Lita from Star Trek D Space Nine. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, and we're excited about the Okudas. As we mentioned, we will be uh, we will be having a chance to sit down and chat with the Okudas either before the con or we might even do a phone interview. They said they'd be happy with, to do it, do something with us. So I just got to line that up. But obviously, they are pretty essential when it comes to Star Trek, right, Miles? Oh my, yes. Um, um, Mike Okuda, uh, he's a he's a graphic artist. His work goes back to. The movie we're going to be talking about later, uh, the, uh, the the Voyage Home, um, but he and his wife designed a lot of the graphics for as, as far as like the computer screens we saw um, came up with the font. Uh, they also are kind of like like Larry Nemechek, kind of like Star Trek archivists as far as just just kind of documenting the history. They even put out a, a book about the, the history of you know. Star Trek history, just taking all the events that happened in the Star Trek universe and kind of putting it in a timeline. Um, so their their contribution to Star Trek can't be overstated. Uh, D- Denise Akuda, if I'm not mistaken, she was also one of the extras in the motion picture. So their their fingerprints are all over Star Trek. Well, very cool, very cool. Well, we look forward to Shirley. If you're going to Shirley, we would obviously love to know that. Let us know on Facebook that you're heading there. Send us a message on Twitter or email us, and uh, we'll try to hook up sometime in there. I'm hoping I got an email and remind me, Miles, after this. I'd like to do a live show because I have a crap load of loot to give away to people. We do have some nice stuff to give away. So we need to do that on the live show, and I want to make sure that we kind of advertise that. So I mm-hmm. got to remember to do that. Oh, I wanted to do that today and I forgot. But wait, we already have that scheduled. No, or we don't. you would like to get that scheduled. I like to get that scheduled. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yep. That's awesome, and I can help remind you as well. Yeah, please do. I need all the reminding <laughs> I can get. Anyone can remind me. But yeah, 
Um, don't remind me now during the show, Em. I mean, I see you typing a message there to Facebook. I'm just kidding. I'm driving. Uh, well, I'm not... you know, you never know oh these God. days. Kids these days, they do it all while they're uh, driving. But... Oh, Kids and they're texting. Yeah, I know. Those you little... know, both of you zip it. <laughs> yeah, stop <laughs> texting. Watch out for that driver. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about Solo. Uh, Solo is not doing well. Yeah, I, it's not being warmly received by critics, and it's not doing so so great at the box office, which surprises me. Yeah. Em, does this surprise you? Nope. And why not? Um, we nerds, we don't we don't take well to change. We don't take well to it. It it's very rare that such not a huge departure, but a small departure from what we're used to happens. This isn't like Rogue One. Rogue One was a story we knew existed and just needed to be told and fleshed out, and it was great. But this is venturing into something totally new, and people already have like their visions of Han Solo and Lando Calrissian and where they how they function and evolved in this world so I suspect it's a lot of people aren't interested aren't ready to be interested in the tangential stories that can be told in the in the Star Wars universe they're not ready to see it as a whole because everyone's still on they very much love that timeline that takes us straight through from the crappy prequels and then the real movies. Um, I, I'm not surprised that it's not doing well. It's, and it's, I mean, it's not a spectacular film. It's not the best. It's good. It has its points and its moments. And I really enjoyed it and I've seen it twice and I've paid full price. Um, it's, it's just, people are so fussy and picky and, they're because they're used to what they what they get and change is hard so that's that's just my perspective yeah interesting and you know if we if we go along those lines that doesn't really bode well for spin-off movies you know disney might disney might think again before they put a movie out now not to say it's it it's not making a lot of money it, it is making as of now, um, it's made one hundred and seventy-eight, uh, five hundred three million dollars domestically, and it's made foreign one hundred thirty-six, almost one hundred thirty-seven million foreign. So it's worldwide is around three hundred fifteen million so far. I mean, it hasn't it hasn't failed, and it hasn't bombed. I just think it's going to be one of those slow-moving cult classics. I've already bought it. I already paid for a copy on Blu-ray and for a digital copy because I want them and I like them. And it's, it's, it's just going to be a slow move. It's not going to be like Jedi. It's not going to be one of the, cause it's not a major timeline. So folks are hesitant or they're just not interested. And I think by the time this hit net, hits Netflix um, or Amazon prime, it it'll people will will embrace it a little more yeah well we'll see we'll see i you know my i was kind of hoping that after we uh after seeing the movie that we would have maybe a sequel 
But if it's not bringing in this money, it it's going to be hard pressed for them to say, "Hey, let's do a sequel of the solo movie." Well, they're being thought at least they're being thoughtful about what they're doing to the timeline. They're testing out the timeline. So the Boba Fett movie is that confirmed now? I thought or is I that think still that's a question mark. I think, I think that's confirmed. Okay, and, and you know you could bring Solo back into a Boba Fett movie. Right, there is a relationship. They're both. I mean, there's a relationship. They're there. both bounty They're, hunters from Jabba, and right, and the, just because of the if they're going to run around with Jabba, then for the next whatever years, he's going to run into him. So I could see the relationship happening there. I just, I don't foresee, I don't foresee a, a sequel per se, but maybe like a, a plot line that gets a chain of movies where we'll get Solo as like a, a guest star, kind of like Lando is to Solo, maybe Solo is to, um, what's his face, to Boba Fett. It just depends. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up on it. Disney's Disney's smart about these things. So they're not going to just pour a bunch of money into something and not have a backup plan. I have faith in the mouse. You have faith in the mouse. Yeah. What do you, what do you, what do you think, uh, Miles, of what I'm saying regarding this? What about fans being stubborn and being yeah that sort of change. thing are we are we stu- I, didn't, I didn't use the word stubborn uh, that, 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 that 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 m selective. hates all fans i'm just kidding doesn't say that oh, no I, no i think i think m's right uh that's the, the it describes a lot of a lot, lot of fans are resistant to change yeah right that's yeah exactly exactly yeah must true like I, change is hard yeah. and especially when you're you've embraced a world and you know, everybody, everybody loves their own Batman and everybody loves their own Superman. And it's, it's just hard when things change. Do you think, do you think the casting of solo at solo himself also made it a little bit difficult for fans? It's a new face. It's a very similar looking face, but it's a new face. Yeah. Maybe some people have a hard time thinking Harrison Ford could be replaced, but. Exactly. Yeah, well, I agree with that statement. I don't know that you can replace Harrison Ford, but you certainly aren't going to cast him as in an origin story either. You know? No, not not this time. No. Yeah. Well, interesting. And so we'll just, I guess, we'll have to see. Um. Yeah. Well, you, uh, um, you saw? Didn't you see Ocean's Eight? I did. Let's talk about that a little bit. I know it's not sci-fi, but it's kind of thriller-esque, and that kind of a little bit. Hold on one sec. I'm turning my alarm off so it doesn't make a big noise when I walk into the house. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> um, that was really cute. So I went in expecting, you know, nothing. In, I I have my my expectations because it's got the ocean's name on it. And right, I have my obviously. expectations because the... The cast is amazing. Um, it's it delivered exactly what I wanted. I wanted to be entertained. Uh, I wanted to see a fun heist story. Uh, I wanted a third act whammy that made me go, what? 
Um, and it gave me that. Um, I, and I'm not a big Sandra Bullock fan, but at, as soon as the movie, like about five minutes in, I was already lost in every character. I didn't see Kate Blanchett. I didn't see all the uh, Helena Bonham Carter, all these amazing Anne Hathaway. All I saw were these amazing characters and where they, where they were going and who they were being. And it was just really fun. I don't want to spoil it. Um, because I really think everyone should go see it. It was super fun. Awesome. Awesome. Some folks you could, I like, it's very satisfying even at a matinee price, but I paid full price. It was great. Awesome. Well, it's something that I, I will see. I don't know if I'll see it in theaters, but it looked interesting. And I was like, okay, but you know, and here's the thing. I so, think there was a little bit of a fear because, you know, you, you think about, you know, the remaking a franchise that people have known a certain cast of characters with, and suddenly now there's the all-female cast. Is this gonna it's end not up, a remake, it, though. I, I know, but is, is it going to be something like what happened with Ghostbusters, right? We got recast Ghostbusters all-female, and uh, a lot of people liked it, but it got panned in general. So do you, you know the premise, right? Uh, not much. I've followed it casually. So she's, she's Danny Ocean's little sister, right? And she's in the family business of course. and something happens and she goes to jail and just like what happened to Danny. And then, uh, she decides to plan this wonderful little heist. Um, it's a little bit revengey, just like Danny. Um, and it's, it's very, it's, it's a really great buildup and it's different because each of them has their own skills and it's not, they're not trying to replace Danny with Sandra and, uh, Brad Pitt with Cate Blanchett. It just, it tells its own story in that universe. And I would recommend seeing it on the big screen because it takes place at, um, the first Monday of May, which is the huge Met Gala event. And it's gorgeous. It's just visually beautiful. Oh, okay. Um, so worth it from the visual standpoint. Oh yeah. And then like just this, the way they cut the film, it's cut just like, a, uh, like an ocean film. So they've got those fast moves. It's got that great quirky, like sixties, um, rat packy music. Um, that's awesome. It's, it's really great. There's, Two, there's one big surprise that I'm not going to say anything about, but I had, I really was happy about it. And then there was a, the finish, the way it just finished off was really well done. And I think people are putting too much credence into the fact that they have vaginas instead of penises. And I'm going to say it exactly that way <laughs> because it's clinical. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah. They, they, these are actors with talent who just happen to have, um, their bits on the inside. Yeah. So I challenge and suggest that everybody take a moment and step back from regardless of what's in their trousers. Um, that just look at it from a story standpoint. It was fun. It's not, I mean, it's not going to win awards, but it was just a really good time. It was fun. Sometimes you need that. Just need a good time right? without 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 worrying about whether this is like the next Oscar winning movie. So it's certainly not Oscar winning, <laughs> but it was really entertaining. Yeah, awesome. 
Awesome. Well, uh, and I know because I've heard from some people privately on Facebook that they don't really like my opinions on movies like this, that like I shouldn't give them any credence whatsoever, that this is just a waste of time. <laughs> and to you all who choose to message me privately and then, you know, you're a big jerk and then you block me, you can suck it because at least you're still listening. And <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to if you're going to have the cojones to call me wrong. Have a conversation with me. I want to find out your point of view because it's probably something interesting I didn't think about. Right. So don't suck it. Just have a conversation. Uh, very good. <laughs> and seriously, you know, let us know. We we're, we're we're open to differing opinions here, right? It's not absolutely. Like, so it's not like it's not like M has the corner on the market. Like this is it. You know, it's uh, she has a good opinion, but there are other valid opinions out there. So i think yeah. it boils down to what i pointed out before that my bits are on the inside uh, maybe i'd like to point out that in my box of star wars cheerios i got a who is this what's her name With well, i don't this, know i got the girl spoon that changes colors when it's cold that's awesome that's awesome well <laughs> that's, that's my sci-fi world there you go that's my, your sci-fi star world. wars color changing yeah. uh spoon <laughs> well uh we're going to begin to wrap up this show. And again, we're going to be coming back on just a little bit to record our voyage home. Uh, before we do that, we want to introduce a short interview uh, that we did with Kathleen Headley. And Kathleen Headley is a writer. She's been writing for years, mostly in the fantasy world and especially in the world of Merlin and the, the Knights of the Round Table. So cool. she writes a lot around the King Arthur's universe. And um, she wrote, uh, King Arthur's Sister in Washington's Court, which is a spinoff of the Connecticut Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. And um and that was uh, of course follow that was Mark Twain's book. And so she writes it in the style of Mark Twain and just released that not too long ago. Uh, cool. but yeah, so she has been writing a really long time. And her if you go to Amazon and see her list, she's done tons of stuff in the fantasy world. Uh, some romance. Uh, and I want to say, I want to, I don't know there's as much science fiction she's done. I think it's mostly, it's mostly fantasy, but quite prolific of an author and some wonderful books. She has been, she's been published since 1999 with her first edition of Dawn Flight was Simon and Schulster book. And so has been, uh, fairly well known. And, uh, and so I think she's probably going to be at shore leave again, but we're going to share this interview that we did at Far Point with her. And we hope you enjoy. Scott Herzog here with the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, and I am sitting with Kim Iverson Headley. Yes. Right. So I got the name right. Yes. And thank we, you. we are we are at Farpoint. And uh, she is an author here and not a recent author. She's been in the uh, authoring scene, the writing scene for quite some time. Kim, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with us at the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Thank you very much. Awesome. So uh, this is not your first Farpoint. I assume you've been there. You've been here before? I, I have been here as an attendee and most recently as an author guest and a vendor as well. Awesome. Awesome. So this is not new, although this venue is new for us this year. Yes, it is, but it's not new for me because of shore leave. <laughs> oh, yeah. We've been to shore leave, too. We've been to shore So tell us a little bit. You You said... You started writing how long ago? Well, officially, I started writing at the age of seven. <laughs> well, then you have a long history behind you. Very much so. Uh, more than half a century, actually. 
Wow. We will not ask you your age after that. But um, so tell us your, your first stories are, did you begin writing um, fantasy, science fiction? What did you begin writing when you started? Well, when I was seven, my parents took me to see the movie Camelot with Richard Harris, Vanessa Redgrave in the theaters. I was so enamored of those stories that I started writing my own, basically, Arthurian fan fiction. Wow, wow. And so has your writing continued in that vein? Have you explored outside of that vein? I have done all kinds of veins. Uh, I My current series, The Dragon's Dove Chronicles, I began my publishing history with book one, which I set out on a mission to redeem Guinevere from 15 centuries of bad press. And so that was my first published novel. The first edition was picked up by Simon & Schuster in 1999. And I have recently re-released it, and I've released book two. I'm working on book three in the series. Uh, Book two is Morning's Journey. Book three is Raging Sea. That is awesome. So what, what for you draws you to the Arthurian legends? I, there, is, uh, there are elements of honor and faithfulness and, and yet betrayal and people doing the right things for the wrong reasons and the wrong things for the right reasons. And all of those kinds of themes resonate with everyone. That's why the legends have been so enduring over the centuries, because we all are hoping that someone will rise up and get us out of our current predicament. And and yet we know that that can't actually happen, that it all has to fall as well. So it's just a fascinating mythos to work with. That is awesome. So you said it took you a really long time to publish your first novel. Tell us a little bit about how that came about and how that all happened. Uh, The first edition of Dawn Flight, I actually wrote in three weeks and then started the process because in those days, in the late 1980s, early 1990s, there was no self-publishing, so you only... You you could do Vanity Press, of course, but I wasn't in for that. And so I had to go through a series of sending the manuscript to a publisher, waiting for it to get rejected, working on a rewrite, sending it to the next publisher. And then I also switched and tried to engage the services of literary agents. And so I would go back and forth. So my story to publication of my first novel is more of a kids do not do it this way (laughs) stick with one approach and in these days with self-publishing being so prevalent and so many great options to to do it yourself it it almost is more worthwhile to just do that and not even try to land the big contract because even the smaller presses and so on it may feel good to to have a contract, but um, there are pros and cons to all of it. Right, right, right. So it took you a long time to get that published, but um, and not only that, you set the scripts in, you have to wait weeks for them to come back. Sometimes months or even in one case over a year, I had sent one of the last publishers I sent a, a draft of Dawn Flight to was Bayon Books, and in those days, Josepha Sherman was the acquiring editor, and she really wanted to acquire the manuscript, but Jim Bann was uh, 
basically saying no, 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 no. And she ended up leaving that position fairly soon after she had to reject my manuscript, after having it in-house for a year. So. <laughs> oh, wow. But Simon & Schuster, you said, picked that up. And yes. Uh, Sonnet Books was a romance imprint. And one of the reasons it took me 10 years to find a publisher was because I never saw it as a romance. Um, yes, the story of Arthur and Guinevere, or Guillanamara, as she's named in my series, uh, drives the plot, but there is so much more going on. There are battles and hand-to-hand combat and political intrigue and the whole bit. So I really never, ever sent it to any romance publishers. But when I got my literary agent, who incidentally is now the literary agent representing Crazy 8 Press, okay. another another group that's here at Farpoint, um, he sent it out to romance publishers, and that's how it was picked up initially. Very cool. Who is the literary agent for uh, Crazy 8? Is that Marco Pomerich? No. It, uh, his name is Andy Zach. All right, very good, very good. So uh, are you working with Crazy 8 Press now? No, I'm not. I just happened, I got Andy's press release. (laughs) Very good, very good. Well, you know, whatever it takes. That's awesome. So tell me about some of the current series that you have out that you've been working on and that you're publishing. Okay, I have actually three standalone novels. One is titled Liberty. It is about a female gladiator in ancient Rome. I have another, basically, it's my young adult title. It is a historical medieval paranormal romance. It starts literally in the middle of the Battle of Hastings and deals with the aftermath through the eyes of some of the characters. And then my third book, and basically the book of my soul, I took Mark Twain's A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. I pretended to be Mark Twain, and I wrote the sequel. And that book is titled King Arthur's Sister in Washington's Court. That is awesome. So did you even uh, mimic stylistically what Twain was doing, or is it set more in modern language? I Basically, I was doing Twain. So I studied his language through reading many of his books, and my editor also studied his style, and she also edited it to 19th century grammar and punctuation standards. And for the print editions, the book designer took his original first edition and mimicked the size of the book, the typefaces. She found digital versions of two fonts that were in use in Twain's day. It is the entire package. That is awesome. They used to teach that. I'm a high school English teacher, my day job, and they used to teach that in schools. They don't. They don't anymore. But I. Uh, but which is a loss in my opinion. Well, and I'm anytime you would like, I'm happy to donate copies. I call it Kaziwick for short because who wouldn't with all of those words in the title? But I'm happy to donate uh, classroom copies for studying that as well as studying Twain's story and noting the similarities and differences and the things that I did to mirror or to do the opposite of what Twain was doing to create the sequel. And and one other thing also, the print editions, I commissioned more than 100 unique illustrations to go with it. So his first edition was fully illustrated, so the sequel is also fully illustrated. Wow. 
how long did it take you to put that together? Because it sounds like there's a lot of research and a lot of thought that went into it. This was not just, you mentioned your first novel came in three weeks. This doesn't sound like a three-week process to me. No, and what happened was, so my literary agent came back from a book expo America one year. I believe it was uh, 2006, and he sent a general message out to all his clients saying, hey, I saw this, I met this um, editor who was looking to acquire sequels to 19th century authors' works. Is Are any of you interested in doing something like that? So I wrote back and I said, yes, how about Mark Twain and Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court? So he ran it by the editor. The editor said, great, go ahead. So I started writing. I wrote about 50 pages, and then it hit me. Who was I to think that I could emulate the father of American literature? And so that doubt stopped me on all of my projects, not just that one, for three years. And then I had a process of basically exercising and things like that to finally get myself back into the saddle and then once i once i did that uh i was able to finish the book in just a few months but that that one doubt really really stopped my plow for a while as you can imagine and it's uh when you start comparing yourself it has to be uh, a little bit daunting Daunting is is spelled S C A R Y. Scary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, very good, very good. So, if people want to get a hold of this book or your other books, where do we send them? Where do we take them? Uh, all of my books are available digitally. Most of them are on Kindle, Nook, iBooks, Kobo. The, of course, the print editions of Kazewick, to get all of the art, you need to get the print editions. But And so those are available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, booksamillion.com, and retailers like that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking a few moments out of your time to sit down and chat with us. And thank you very much. Have a great rest of the con. We will. If you've enjoyed the conversation, the owners of this establishment would love to hear from you. Send your comments and feedback to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com or join our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sci-fi diner.